We're continuing with our series on Revelation. Um, this is week number, you guys can bring the slides up. This is week number 41, and I've called this week, uh, the title of the message is A Day of Mourning. So, a couple of questions for you. Can you think of moments in recent history where it seemed like something had happened, whether it was a catastrophe, it was man-made or natural, and it seemed like, man, the world system might be on the verge of collapse. Can you relate personally to the anxiety that those events might have caused you? Or can you, at the very least, if you can't personally relate, maybe you could empathize with those who were directly impacted. I think of a few. Uh, one was you know, over 20 years ago with 9-11, when the World Trade Towers collapsed. People thought, man, like 65% of our financial transactions go through that complex. How are we going to recover from this? What's, when's the market going to open again? But we did reopen, and we built a new tower, and things continued. I remember in 2008, you had the global financial crisis. The banking system was on the verge of collapse all across the world. Man, this is it. This is the end. This is, but then it was bailed out, and it came back. Just a few years ago, we had this crisis, right? The COVID-19 crisis. And all the lockdowns and the economy and people losing jobs, that was pretty bad. Man, this could be it. This could be the one. Well, it wasn't the one. The world came back and we're still here doing kingdom work. It's catastrophic. People have lost everything. But just like all the other disasters that have been in this world, like the tsunami a few years ago in Asia and all these things, strangely enough, the world just seems to always come back and rebuild and keep going. And, but with all these systemic catastrophes in world history, somehow humanity is able to pick up the pieces and, and move on and do something new. But one day, this global world system and this world order that we have seen continuously for thousands of years will face a global crisis so broad and so destructive Mankind, in its efforts, won't be able to rebuild or recover. Today's passage is a prophecy of how the world that day will mourn the collapse of every world system built by human hands that they have put all their hope and trust and joy in. This is a longer passage than normal. Okay, I had to go about 15 verses. It's all the rest of chapter 18. Um, so, but you just bear with me. We're going to read it together in community. And the kings of earth who committed sexual immorality and lived in luxury with her, talking about with Babylon, that represents all the world order, but also in this day, in first century, it represented Rome, will weep and wail over her when they see the smoke of her burning. They will stand far off in fear of her torment and say, Woe, woe, you great city, you mighty city Babylon, for in a single hour your judgment has come. The merchants of the earth weep and mourn for her since no one buys their cargo anymore of gold and silver and jewels and, perils and uh, pearls and fine linen, purple cloth, silk, scarlet cloth, all kinds of scented wood, ivory, costly wood, bronze and iron and marble, cinnamon, spice, incense, myrrh, frankincense, wine, oil, fine flour, wheat, cattle, sheep, horses, chariots and slave, that is human souls. 
That's a lot of stuff that nobody's buying anymore. The fruit which your soul longed has gone from you, and all your delicacies and splendors are lost to you, never to be found again. Luxury is done away with. The merchants of these wares who gained wealth from her will stand far off in fear of her torment, weeping and mourning aloud. Woe, the great city that was clothed in fine linen, purple and scarlet, adorned with gold and jewels and pearls, pearls, for in a single hour all this wealth has been laid waste. All the shipmasters, seafaring men and sailors who were responsible for shipping all these things, all whose trade is on the sea, they stood afar off and cried out as they saw the smoke of her burning. What city was like the great city? And they threw dust on their heads as they wept and mourned, crying out, Woe, woe, for the great city where all who had ships at sea grew rich by her wealth. For in a single hour she has been laid waste. But rejoice over her, O heaven, you saints and apostles and prophets, for God has given judgment for you against her. Then a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea, saying, So will Babylon the great city be thrown down with violence and will be found no more. The sound of the harpists and musicians, flute players and trumpeters will be heard in you no more. A craftsman of any kind will be found in you no more. The sound of the mill will be heard in you no more. The light of a lamp will shine in you no more. The voice of the bridegroom and bride, in other words, people celebrating marriages, will be heard in you no more. For your merchants were the great ones of the earth. All nations were deceived by your sorcery. In her was found the blood of the prophets and of the saints and of all who have been slain on earth. Yeah, that's pretty... <clears throat> Let's just close in prayer. We don't need to discuss this anymore. So, as you know, if we're going to understand the complexities of a passage like that, we have to understand the history and read it as as though we were first century Jewish Christians in that area around the Isle of Patmos that John sent this book to. I want you to see that there are two things that John's readers would immediately recognize. It's language from the scriptures when it comes to a prophecy about the city of Tyre and language when it comes to the prophecy of the fall of Babylon. The fall of every empire or established world order, whenever they fall in world history, it always results in chaos for anyone living in that system. The absence, the sudden absence of that central authority disrupts trade and shipping and tax collecting and supply chains and basic services. And as anarchy takes hold, the powerful mourn the loss of the luxurious lives they grew to love and know under the old regime. The life that they were accustomed to that was frankly built on the backs of others. <clears throat> But the poor also suffer when these empires collapse. As a new wave of tyranny comes in and takes hold, they seek to exploit the poor for their own gain. And this cycle repeats throughout human history. One system or empire falls and another replaces it. The world rebuilds and moves on. But what John's readers would recognize is they would recognize language from two such prophetic iterations of this historic cycle I just described to you, these cycles of partial judgment that we learned about earlier in our study on Revelation. The first one is the prophecy of the judgment upon Tyre. This first prophecy of judgment and economic collapse is of the greatest ancient port city in the ancient world, the city of Tyre. Tyre was, in fact, like this big 
ancient hub for lucrative trade industries, especially, as we read earlier, luxury items. And sadly, it was the center hub for slavery and human trafficking. Tyre dominated ancient trade for generations until its prophesied collapse to the Babylonian Empire in 573 B.C. In Ezekiel 26 and 27, the scripture predicts the fall of Tyre 20 years before it happens. It was God reminding his people that nothing earthly lasts forever. And what Revelation does in this passage, it borrows heavily from Ezekiel's language about Tyre's fall, and he's doing it to encourage John readers. John's readers, listen, Rome feels like it's going to last forever, but it won't. Look what happened to Tyre. And he, I'm going to give you an example of how it borrows. Ezekiel 27. When your wares came from the seas, you satisfied many peoples with your abundant wealth. And merchandise, you enriched the kings of the earth. Now you are wrecked by the seas. In the depths of the waters, your merchandise and all your crew in your midst have sunk with you. So both passages borrow this language of merchandise and trading being disrupted and collapsing. They would recognize this immediately. Kings, merchants, ship captains described as mourning the end of their systemic gravy train that has been built on the backs of exploiting others. So that's the first one they would recognize. They would also recognize an undeniable copying of language from the scripture about the fall of Babylon. This is the second prophetic passage Revelation borrows from. It's in Jeremiah's prophecy of what was going to happen to that empire. Jeremiah chapter 51, verses 63 and 64. When you finish reading this book, tie a stone to it and cast it into the midst of the Euphrates and say, thus shall Babylon sink to rise no more. Do you remember that? We talked about the stone being thrown in. Because of the disaster that I'm bringing upon her, and they shall become exhausted. This prophecy came during the thick of the suffering of Jews during the Babylonian exile and captivity from their nation land of Israel. The purpose, again, was to remind God's people that nothing earthly, even it looks like it's totally something that cannot be conquered, nothing earthly lasts forever, and God will one day deliver his people. Remember also, we've learned this several times First century Jews and Jewish Christians used the word Babylon as a metaphor for the Roman Empire they were living in that day. They understood this passage in Revelation 18. It was also a prophecy of Rome's future fall. But they also saw it as a metaphor for future cycles of judgment. They also understood this is not just a prophecy about Rome and any empire that comes after it. It's also about the final judgment, the day evil is completely eradicated from this earth. So that's the history. You've got to understand that if you're going to properly see what this passage says. Look at the, the theological section. What about God here? What is he doing? And why and how does he do it? I've called this section a day of mourning for the wicked. So this passage, in reality, and this is the way Revelation works, right? So Revelation repeats these cycles over and over again from different camera angles. We'll see a lot of different camera angles tonight if you're watching the game, right? Replays from different... That's what Revelation is. This is an expanded, close-up version, replay of the angelic declaration that we learned about way back in chapter 14, verse 8. Another angel, a second followed saying, fallen, fallen is Babylon, the great. She made, she who made all nations drink the wine of her passion, of her sexual immorality. 
So that takes that one verse, and then chapter 18 expands it all and gives you all the details. It reveals the foolishness of allegiance to any earthly system or power, even if it might benefit you for that time. It reveals how the unredeemed will deeply mourn the loss of luxurious lifestyles they have all grown to respect or to expect. You know, frankly, today we live very luxurious lives. Even those who maybe aren't wealthy live very luxuriously compared to the ancient world. And mostly, and we don't do this on purpose, but mostly our luxury is at the expense of others. Yes, even here in our great nation, it's the natural goal. Listen, I'm going to explain this to you. This is, this is the way it's set up. This is what Revelation has revealed to us. This is the natural goal of every earthly society. And I don't mean to sound crass, and, but this is, this is it. This is it. The, the natural goal is to find the most efficient, effective, organized way to explore, exploit people and resources. That's what this world system is set up to do. That's what the dragon has done. That's the world he has created. In some countries, that exploitation is more subtle, less oppressive. In others, it's overt, it's tragic, it's violent, and it's horrifying. But every world government in human history possesses, to one degree or another, some of the qualities that we have seen ascribed to metaphoric Babylon throughout the book of Revelation. We learned about them in chapter 17, violence, subjugation, deception, economic manipulation, Seduction, materialism. <clears throat> Next thing I want you to see is the wicked will mourn. Chapter 18 describes how as everything is crumbling around them on that day, those who love luxury will mourn the loss of everything they have built and amassed and collected. In Rome's case, it would be these local authorities who once exploited people in their provinces as they mourn the loss of their power base. Merchants who got rich buying and selling luxuries and slaves lament the collapse of their gravy train. Captains of import and export ships who benefited from these systems look on in horror as all of it collapses before their eyes. And as they mourn, the scripture says they stand back in fear of Babylon's torment. They want to flee the collateral damage as God judges this world system. As it collapses around them, they're trying to back away. It's not me. I'm not part of it. But they are a part of it. And because of that, we know that the wicked will be unprepared. You know, doomsday prepping isn't anything new. The wealthy in Rome were notorious for being doomsday preppers. None of their preparations mattered. Revelation says Babylon will fall in an hour. That phrase in an hour, it says it three separate times in our passage. It's literally a literal merit metaphor, a literary metaphor for the wicked being totally unprepared for that day. No matter what they do, no matter how they think they might be prepared, they're not. None of them were able to adequately prepare for Tyre's fall. Nobody was able to prepare for Babylon's fall. They weren't prepared for Rome's collapse, the wealthy. The collapses, all of those, came so quickly, so catastrophically, no earthly preparation, contingency, or alternative mattered. 
And this inability to prepare will be even more catastrophic on the day of final judgment. As a matter of fact, Jesus describes it in Luke. As it was in the days of Noah, so will it be in the days of the Son of Man. That's what this chapter 18 is about. It's the days of the Son of Man when Jesus returns. They were eating, drinking, marrying, being given in marriage until the day Noah entered the ark. The flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, in the days of Lot, they were eating, drinking, buying, selling. Doesn't that sound familiar? Planting and building. Any historic or future collapse of a nation cannot compare to the shock and awe of the world's day of final judgment. It will bring calamity. The wicked will not only be unable to prepare for, but also they will never be able to recover from. Imagine as the unredeemed's plans for life and wealth and love and family and prosperity all tragically unravel before their eyes. Money, power, luxuries, wisdom, security, everything they've treasured is suddenly turned into worthless rubble. They will realize everything they live for was meaningless, worthless. It will be a horrifying, rapid, overwhelming revelation. But their mourning isn't repentance. Oh, we should have followed Jesus. We should have listened to the gospel. No, it's sadness over their loss and anger at God. Remember, Revelation says that they would be angry because they've realized they've lost everything that they have built with their own hands in the blink of an eye. And why are they losing it? Because they rejected the one kingdom that will stand. So this is the personal section. What about us? What are we supposed to do with this graphic description? This section is called Preparing for Babylon's Fall. This was the sermon preview this week. I had some prepper friends get mad at me on this, but that's okay. The only preparation for an eventual, final, global, economic, political collapse is to follow the Lamb wherever He goes. Unlike previous collapses affecting a city or an empire or a financial system, final judgment will wipe out everything. The sad irony, the sad irony is this, even those who don't believe in the Scriptures... The sad irony is mankind instinctively is always trying to prepare for that day without really understanding what that day really is. Some stockpile gold or food or ammo. It's a big business building off-the-grid cabins. But all those things, all those things you're using to prep for that final day, those too will be part of the rubble, part of the collapse of Babylon. That collapse will be economic, it will be structural, it will be philosophical, it will be systemic, it will be physical, it will be spiritual, it will be universal, and it will be, according to Revelation, very personal. They think they are preparing for an earthly catastrophe. The problem is, this isn't a rainy day. It's judgment. This is not a global depression. It's judgment. It's not a natural catastrophe. It's judgment. 
Look what Paul says in 1 Thessalonians. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction in an hour. Then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman. They will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief, for you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. The warning is clear. Those living only for the comfortable daily routine of life are unaware of impending judgment. The unredeemed will watch, horrified as the house of cards Satan used their hands to build crashes down around them. The reality will be so overwhelming when they realize it's all been futile and that they, despite their best efforts, are totally unprepared. The unredeemed will realize this time is different. There will be no rebuilding from the rubble that is all that they cherished. There's not going to be a new nation, a new empire, a new king, a new democratic election cycle, a new economic system with empty promises of prosperity and equality and fairness. This includes the nationalists, the wokists, the communists, the monarchists, the capitalists, the socialists, the fascists, the atheists, the Buddhists, the New Ageists, all the ists. <laughs> the, unde the unredeemed will realize any ist that they pledged their allegiance to or put their hope in were all deceptions from the dragon. As everything they love has the rug pulled out from under it, they won't just mourn the loss, they will be angry about it. They will resent the kingdom of God, which is the only one left standing. The one they rejected for the luxuries of this world. Look what Jesus says in Matthew 6. He's talking to believers, us, who follow the lamb wherever he goes. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. That's uncomfortable. Where moth or rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So, question, if I visited your home, not unannounced, let's say you invited me, okay? I'm just not going to show up. <laughs> Hello, I'm here. <laughs> if I visited your home, and asked you to show me where you keep your treasure. Where would you take me? To a safe? To a mantle? To your garage? Perhaps show me treasures displayed in picture frames? Maybe your home itself. Wherever it is that you would take me, Jesus says, that's where your heart is. Hmm, that's uncomfortable. See, it's easy even for us as Christians to, to keep from being distracted by the world's luxuries. 
But even the ones as Christians, as followers of Jesus, even the ones as Christians that we have amassed, they will be rubble on that day. The difference is we may not have to mourn it. There are only two types of people on that day. Only two. There's no in-between. There's like on a scale of one to ten, are you a, a mourning that is a seven or a three? No, there's either those who mourn or those who rejoice. Nothing in between. And that destruction is pretty bad, but I'm indifferent. (laughs) Yeah, the kingdom of God's pretty cool, but eh, I've seen better. It's either, it's either this is really bad or wow, this is really awesome. (laughs) Remember the rich man in Mark 10 who asked Jesus what must he do to enter the kingdom of heaven? Do you remember that story? Some of you might remember that. Remember what Jesus said? He said, you got to sell everything. Because Jesus said, you got to do this. Well, I've done that, Jesus. Well, then do this. Well, I've done that. Jesus finally says, okay, listen. Sell everything you have. Give it to the poor and follow me. Remember his response? The rich young ruler? Disheartened by the saying, he went away mourning. For he had great possessions. See how that's all tied together? How often are you seduced into investing in this earthly house of cards at the expense of investing in heavenly treasures? I'm talking to you as a follower of Jesus now. This doesn't mean that Christians can't have earthly wealth. That's not what I'm saying. But we must learn as children of God to keep it in its proper place compared to heavenly treasure. This is verse 20 of this passage. Rejoice over her, O heaven, you saints and apostles and prophets, for God has given judgment for you against her. As those who hear the call that we learned about the last couple of weeks, those who hear the call to come out of Babylon before it falls, those who hear the call from the shepherd who know his voice and follow him, And the scripture says in Revelation, those who follow the lamb wherever he goes, we have an advantage of knowing how all this is going to end. Let me say it again. We have an advantage of knowing how all of this is going to end. And it's not going to end with an earthly political utopia. It's going to end with the kingdom of God. Unlike the inhabitants of earth, We understand the temporary nature of earthly riches and luxury. We understand our greater calling to see our earthly treasures are not our own, but are entrusted to us and they belong to the kingdom of God that we have been called to be a part of. We understand that they go before our own personal earthly luxury. We, as followers of Jesus, learn how to live in this world while at the same time answering the call of the great shepherd to come out of Babylon before it collapses. Because God has revealed to us the frailty of this world system. We won't, because he's revealed to it, we won't be among those who mourn its catastrophic collapse. 
We will be those who rejoice. Instead of being those who mourn, we are actually real preppers. And not by stockpiling food that stays in an envelope for 70 years. <laughs> we are preppers because we are laying up for ourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust can't corrupt and where thieves cannot steal. You don't need ammo to protect treasures in heaven. You just need to have the mark of the Lamb of God. So we will be prepared because we are among the redeemed in heaven who rejoice in the glory of the kingdom of God. Dear Jesus, while we live in this world, we live in Babylon and, and we see the luxuries and sometimes we're tempted by them. Lord, thank you, you have revealed to us through Scripture and through your Holy Spirit, that this world system is all temporary. Even if it feels like it's never going away, it will. Lord, we don't know if it's going to happen in our lifetime. It'd be kind of cool to watch. <laughs> but if it doesn't, we'll be rejoicing with you in heaven. Because, Lord, as attractive and Seductive as this world seems, we know that real life more abundantly comes only in the kingdom of God. Lord, there are some followers of you today, whether they're watching on the stream or here in this room or people who might watch later. Lord, there are some true followers of Jesus who are struggling with laying up treasures on earth versus treasures in heaven. Lord, I pray that you would give them a new, different desire today. Lord, I pray that you would help them as children that you have called out of darkness and the light to fall out of love with things and fall in love with truth and redemption and mercy and grace, and the Great Commission. Lord, there are some who might hear this, and for the first time, they're hearing you, the Great Shepherd, to call them out of Babylon, saying, you don't have to live as a prisoner to this world anymore. You can be in the world, but not of the world. Lord, I pray that you would enlighten them, and call them, and save them, and transform them, and make them part of the family of God. And Lord, we beg of you to change our value systems, where they need to be changed. We surrender them to you this morning, right now. Reveal to us the luxuries that we love more than we love you. And give us the discipline necessary to hold them with open hands. Because you are the great treasure. Thank you, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Amen. We love you guys. We'll see some of you tonight at the party. Have a great week.